You're watching No Go Zone with Henry. And we are back live. Thank you for joining us here today, ladies and gentlemen. Good to uh, be back with you once again. Jam-packed show today. I do want to talk about the spice uh, question a little bit here. You might have come across uh, the hordes of uh, <laughs> rhetorically violent anti-whites going after a uh, woman on TikTok uh, regarding the spice question because apparently bland, boring, mayonnaise white people don't spice their food. <laughs> so we'll talk about that. Uh, very salty uh, and appropriately so we uh, will cover a little bit on uh, Sweden's NATO membership they approved that today uh, Swedish uh, the, they voted in the uh, parliament today and so of course they want to go join so maybe we can get the, uh, the the pride battalions to to run out on the front lines first uh, I do have a little bit I want to read about Russia uh, in relation to the the Ukraine war and stuff like that, uh, which I think you might find interesting, uh, and then we'll see what we get to. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Some good news uh, regards to Ursula Haverbeck. If you will follow our Telegram, you you know what's what's up with that. But we'll say for that, I do want to touch on the AI stuff a little bit more too. We do have a couple of things. Uh, Google released their version, I guess, of Chat GPG called Bard appropriately so we'll uh, we'll check that out all right anyway if you want to join us today super chats is uh open enterprise.live slash red eyes tv we take them over there or you can do it at odyssey uh or rumble where we also go out and live stream too i'm going to try to keep an eye on that here uh one of my other i think network devices on one of my computers freaked out so i couldn't uh, <coughs> i can't see <laughs> i can't see the windows permanently on that we'll see we'll see what happens here but uh, i'll keep an eye on those as well uh, throughout the show. Chalky Milk, I see over on Entropy Stream. Oh, and then I, I can't click in on that. I got to hover. That's right. Hello, Henrik, uh, or Henlo, Henrik, uh, or Henlo TM, Henrik. That's right. I've noticed recently when one gives an acceptable answer to a political topic, the response is no longer good answer. It has become right answer. Really interesting. Just another indication that these people can't be reasoned with and that there is no honest discussion to be had with them. No, that's true. And I think uh, I just put a thing about the, uh, how they're going after granola uh, Nazis, as they call them, which is essentially anybody who, you know, into natural living and healthy things and uh, like, appreciates nature and farming and agriculture and these kinds of things. It's, it's weird when you think about it that, like, these, posi these positions can be taken voluntarily by some... <laughs> I think it's a plus, it's an advantage, we can, because we can paint them into a toxic corner, uh, quite literally. Uh, but anyway, we'll get to that. It's just more of that, more of the same when it comes to just how awful it is these days with, uh, well, you know, not, maybe not polarization, but it's just like, it, it's, there's, it, there's just no point uh, with some. There's just no point in trying. All right. Let's begin with this, actually. I just, you know, we've been talking about it. Everyone's co covering it. It, it is a tr the Trump circus. Uh, so apparently today they have uh, they decided not to meet this, this grand jury uh, in, in New York. Uh, so there's no arrest today. Maybe it's all just uh, fake or something. I'm not sure what's going on. Awful lot of buzz around this. Uh, and as I said in the latest uh, Western Warrior show, if you watched that uh, up on RadisPempers.com or Odyssey, uh, basically it a, is a circus. And of course, this will do nothing but score uh, incredible points for Donald Trump. It's almost like it's almost like they want him uh, to win by going after him in this way. Uh, but then on the other hand, you always reserve a little bit of space for the fact that these people are also uh, genuinely insane. Uh, they can't be reasoned with. And I think they're... 
they think it's going to be more appropriate to get a you know to to get like that visual of like trump in handcuffs or something like that uh and then uh <laughs> you know the mugshot and you know these kinds of things and they think that that they think that's going to be a win it's like oh well, this is serious business we can't vote for a guy who's you know been been in handcuffs uh, but you know again i think uh i think this is just going to score points Check out what the uh, shitlibs over at uh, MSNBC has to say about this. Colleague Jonathan Dietz reporting that the grand jury won't meet today. It's worth reminding folks that all these grand jury proceedings are conducted in secret. That includes the schedule. You know, we know from past patterns that this grand jury typically meets on Monday afternoons and on Wednesday afternoons. But as is usually the case, you know, most of the time we don't know for sure when they meet until afterwards. Some of this can be based on witness availability. Some of it can be based on the availability of prosecutors or the folks who need to be in the room. Some of it could be making sure they have a quorum of grand jurors present to hear the necessary evidence. So we're working to find out more about the delay today and why the grand jury is not meeting today after they had a busy day Monday suggesting that perhaps they were closer to the end of this probe than they were to the beginning. Now, as for the reaction in Mar-a-Lago, I've not seen any to this uh, decision not to have the grand jury meet today, but I suspect based on my other reporting, it will be welcomed by the former president down in South Florida. The reporting from the New York Times that you mentioned, also reporting that I and my other colleagues have been able to do, is that the former president's somewhat conflicted about all this. He may be personally uncomfortable with the idea of being indicted. Nobody particularly wants to, uh, you know, be fingerprinted or have to go through the criminal justice system, but that he also recognizes the political opportunity it presents. Of course it does. This is retarded not to think it doesn't. To rally his base to him, to be part of a spectacle, to be part of the biggest story on the planet, which the first ever indictment and arrest of a former president would probably qualify as if and when we get to that moment. But uh, Andrea, it appears we're at least another day off from that possibility. And I can tell you today, after what was a lot of buildup and a lot of right. energy anyway, they're around... salivating at this thing. You know, I played some of the footage in <laughs> Western Warriors to check that out, but it's just, yeah, the, absolutely insane. Uh, it's, it's a huge distraction. Uh, we're, as I said, one show, I was talking about the, the Trump time loop, right? We're like, or like we're, we're in a time loop. It just goes round and round again. Here we are. You know, this is going to give him even a bigger platform of sorts. Now he's going to be even more high profile. He's obviously going to get the GOP nomination in 2024. And, you know, we can't we can't afford another four years of a lot of talk. And, and of course, as we know, what happened last time is that the opposition stepped up their game. That's really when the censorship keeps, you know, kicked in. That's when it got really insane. Can you imagine if he comes in for four more years? And it's not, you know, it's not this, well, therefore, don't agitate them or don't, don't do anything that upsets them because otherwise I, I, I understand that as well. But I'm just saying, if they are going to be agitated, maybe it should be over something that actually has value to those of us who care about the you know, pres preservation of Western civilization, of people of European descent, us who don't want to be replaced. You see what I'm saying? instead of working with this straw man and, and, and this uh, fake image of, of what the liberal, you know, anti-white media claims that Trump is as opposed to what he actually is. It was a pro-Israeli uh, mouthpiece who, who uh, talked a, a good game sometimes. And that's about that's about it. Not much more happened, to be honest. Uh, there was, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. But overall, uh, it generally gotten, I think, worse. And he got, he got the hopes up for a lot of people, too. Uh, and now, because of his martyrs, martyrdom here with the, this potential arrest, it'll be even it will have been more cultish after this. So it's a, I don't know. It's uh, it, it, they're like 
they're playing this to a certain extent too, to be honest. That's I, I can't view it any other way. Um, well, while we're on Trump, real quick here, let me mention this here. Um, apparently, <clears throat> apparently someone uh, pooped near Hillary Clinton when she was attending the Schubert Theater uh, show uh, in, uh, is this New York? Where is this? Uh, hold on to your noses, folks. Reports are flying in that a fan pooped during a recent show of Some Like It Hot at the historic Schubert Theater near Hillary and Chelsea Clinton. A fan of what? The theater or Hillary <laughs> Hillary Clinton? Uh, maybe it's Chelsea that, uh, that brought this out. That's right. The serial pooper target, the aisle right by Clinton, the Clinton do, leaving quite a stink. Ay, ay, ay. Uh, a show insider insisted that this was a regrettable one-time incident, but another source tells a different story. Apparently, the theater staff is familiar with this particular perpetrator and their poopy, poopy antics. Looks like this isn't the first time that the shit has hit the fan uh, the fans, I guess, at other performances. All right. Okay. There we go. The Schubert Theater. Is that in... Uh, where is that? Is that in... Is it, maybe it's New York or something. I don't even know what that is. <clears throat> I'm, not, uh, I'm not cultured in, in uh, the places where people go to poop. How about that? All right. Fun stuff. <clears throat> All right. Also, be uh, be rest assured, everybody. Everything is great with the economy. It's They fixed... Uh, they, they patched up the little, you know, the little problems we have. Uh, and Janet Yellen, together with the other uh, bankers, have managed to patch up uh, basically the, the few little problem areas. You know what I mean? They put some glue uh, on the house of cards and everything is good, apparently. Because Yellen says banking stabilize. Banking stabilizing, U.S. may intervene more if needed. We just need to intervene a little bit more. The U.S. banking sector is stabilizing. After the recent failures of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank rattled the industry, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen told a lenders conference Tuesday as leaders seek to calm global worries. Stock markets have risen as fears of a financial crisis eased after the U.S. Federal Reserve and other major central banks kicked off a coordinated effort this week to boost lenders' access to liquidity. The collapse had caused a crisis of confidence with many customers of similarly seized banks withdrawing their money and depositing it in larger institutions considered too big for the government not to bail them out if they forced failure. But outflows from regional banks have stabilized. Following authorities' moves to shore up confidence and stem contagion. That's right. She could, they've all adopted this, like, uh, you know, virus kind of analogy and, like, uh, I guess it's COVID-19 lingo or something. We gotta, we gotta you know, keep contagion in it. We're sure it doesn't spread uh, to other parts of the system. Well, let me tell you, it's all infected and the host is about to die. Uh, but anyway, th this is her this is her job to to at least partially patch things up unless it is to actually crash the system. Uh, most of this is uh, basically about consolidating it into, you know, fewer and fewer hands. That's what I believe. And then the other thing you can do is you can basically introduce a CBDC at that point too. I, yeah, I had a screenshot. Maybe we put that on our Telegram or something. But it was kind of, it was kind of fun. Welcome to the what was it UBS right in Switzerland? Uh, they bought Credit Suisse, which them made them the what the fifth largest banking entity or something like that, right? Um, 
only it looks like only BlackRock and Vanguard, uh, but not together individually, are bigger than this new entity right now. A, a new giant, it says down below there too, UBS and Credit Suisse, right? Uh, holding a approximately, what is that, 9 trillion in, no, sorry, 5 trillion uh, in assets uh, altogether. Incredible stuff. So they've they merged them into fewer and fewer hands, and someone had the screenshot of like, welcome to Credit Suisse, Bank of America, uh, you know, Silicon Valley Bank, uh, Bank of the, the Central Bank of EU and stuff. And uh, yes, it will be very easy to, I think, switch over to a digital uh, currency. Uh, maybe, look, obviously it's not going to be global overnight kind of thing. Uh, but uh, it's being there is a pilot program in the U.S. right now called Fed Now, which is going to be uh, it's being pilot tested in in was it New York was it Philadelphia something like that, um, and will be introduced in June or July this year. It, it's it's done. Some countries already have it. Uh, we're heading in that direction, barring of course that some states, which has happened. I think it was like one of the Dakota states was it, uh, North, South Dakota. Uh, introduced a bill to like prevent CBDCs from being used in the state and other individual countries like in the EU would do that as well. Oh, that reminds me. L let me let me play this. Uh, speaking about the banking thing, check out Christine Lagarde from the uh, European Central Bank talking about why it's so important to uh, to go over to a CBDC. And I, yeah, I think she, I could be wrong in this, but I think this clip is from you know those guys, the the two Russians that do prank calls. Uh, they talked with Stephen King once and convinced him it was Zelensky. He was. Remember those guys? I think I think that's what it, it sounds like. Them. I could be wrong. I didn't check this yet. But anyway, they're asking her about you know uh, the privacy issues here and why some people are uh, are opposing them. Ch check out the answer she gives here. There are many protests in Europe uh, against uh, the electronic euro. Uh, mm -hmm. What is the reason? You know, it's it's the beauty of Europe. It has different. Uh, positions. If you ask in Northern Europe, <laughs> there are beautiful. <laughs> That's a shitty answer, by the way. But whatever, you get a delay a little bit. There's it's so beautiful. There's different. See, we have different things in Europe. But then, but what we're doing is to homogenize everything under the umbrella of the European Parliament and especially the European Commission, which no one has voted for. We can eradicate culture. We can remove all the differences in the financial system and create a, a, a euro and a euro. You get my point. Uh, complete bullshit. There's no the, the EU is not overseeing any form of diversity here. For instance, uh, in the Netherlands, they're quite happy to see the e-euro coming. If you ask, uh, oh, they are okay. So I guess that she's speaking for all the Dutch people now. You you are happy to see the e euro, which is a again it's a euphemism, obviously for uh, a central bank digital currency, right? A young German um, man, you'll say, yeah, fine. Mm. As I said, I don't want meta. Yeah, fine. <laughs> uh, do you want the e euro? Yeah, yeah, fine. But not uh, but not the old German. Is that what? <laughs> <laughs> Google or Amazon to suddenly come up with a currency that would take over the sovereignty of Europe. I don't want a foreign currency to become the currency of trading within Europe. So you mean like uh, <clears throat> like what happened for the individual sovereign nations in Europe that joined the uh, the euro agreement, right? <laughs> so we have to be ready. No, the problem is they don't want to be controlled. Uh, they don't want to... Uh... Yeah, but you know what? You know what? Now we have in Europe this threshold 
above 1,000 euros, you cannot pay cash. If you do, you are on the gray market. You take mm -hmm. your risk. You get caught, you are fined, or you go in jail. But you know, straight to jail, a thousand euros straight to jail. The, the the digital euro is going to have a limited amount of control. There will be control. You're right. You're completely right. Mm -hmm. We are considering whether for very small amounts, you know, anything that is around 300, 400 euros, we could have a mechanism where there is zero control. But that could be dangerous. The terrorist attacks on France uh, back uh, 10 years ago were entirely financed by those very small anonymous credit cards that you can recharge in total anonymity. Mm, so they used what, US dollars or euros, presumably? How about that? Isn't that fascinating? Okay, so they used the mainstream banking system to do it. <clears throat> but, uh, okay, so let me uh, let me retort uh, there <laughs> a little bit because isn't... There are many isn't, protests in Europe. Oh, uh, let me lower that. Isn't... Um, that's like saying, I mean, I don't even know if we need to do an analogy here, to be honest, but oh, no, you see, we need a central bank digital currency so that the terrorists, terrorists won't blow you up. OK, but um, maybe we should have let in the terrorists to begin with and then we could have spared the whole CBDC thing and then we can uh, basically uh, preserve our, our somewhat anonymous cash currencies. Yes. No. It's almost just like. You will die if you don't do what we tell you. You will be blown up by terrorists if you don't. Well, <laughs> why did you let them in then? Maybe we shouldn't have open borders, Christine. Have you th ever thought about that? Maybe. Hmm. All right. Anyway, we can leave that. Uh, leave that uh, lady uh, to rot with her ugly glasses. All right. So let's t let's talk about the NATO situation because it's it's a bunch of same same bunch of bureaucrats and. Uh, idiots that are going along in this here. So Swedish lawmakers vote to endorse country joining NATO. Swedish lawmakers overwhelmingly voted Wednesday in favor of Sweden joining NATO, signing off on the country's membership along with the required legislation. The 349-seat parliament authorized Sweden's accession, uh, sorry, yeah, accession, accession, is that what it's called? Yeah, uh, to NATO. I thought it was ascension. Isn't that what it is? That's not what it says. Or does it say ascension, accession, ascension? Anyway, to NATO uh, in a 269 to 37 vote. Oops, with 43 lawmakers absent. There you go. So it wouldn't matter if they showed up or not then. It was the last required domestic hurdle to the country becoming part of the 30-member Western Military Alliance. That's right. That's why Turkey is part of it. <clears throat> Six of the eight parties represented in Parliament were in favor of NATO membership and the vote that followed a near seven-hour debate was seen as a formality. Membo membership in NATO is the best way to safeguard Sweden's security, Foreign Minister Tobias Billström Bill said during the deliberations. He called it a historic event and one of the most important security policy decisions ever for our country. Now you have a, now you have a target on your backs, dumbasses. Speaking of the timetable for Sweden's possible ascension, Billström told lawmakers during the debate, I want to say Billström, but it's two L's, it's going to be Billström, uh, that uh, during the debate, that if if it goes without saying, or it goes without saying, that uh, we will be able to become members in Vilnius, the Lithuanian capital where a NATO summit is to be held in July. 
the backing we have is so tangible that I can make that uh, assessment, he said. Both Sweden and neighboring Finland applied to join NATO in May 2022, abandoning decades of non-alignment in the wake of uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So I've said it before, uh, I think Sweden should stay out of it. I think they should have uh, remained in the position that they were to be a neutral country. Not that they were, but at least on paper, right? There's There's been training uh, exercises already with NATO and we've let, let them in to, to our waters and the Baltic and they've trained on our soil and all these kinds of things. Uh, and of course, Sweden is, is, is largely America's bitch anyway, right? So uh, that that won't happen. And as we reported on before, uh, they said that if there is a, a kind of invasion of any other European country by Russia, then uh, Swedish forces uh, are one of the ones, I mean, at least if it's up north, right, are going to be sent, uh, sent, in, <laughs> sent in first, right? So now, actually, with everything that's going on, with all the, the crazy replacement, with the vax issues of so many excess deaths in, in most European countries right now, uh, ramping up to a war and, and actually causing a real uh, dangerous conflict for some of these smaller countries is, of course, completely idiotic. And it's, it's not at all guaranteeing our security. It's, it's actually much worse now. Uh, prior, uh, there's always a risk, of course. Yeah, sure. I mean, if you're not part of that, maybe something will happen. But at the same time, it's like if, you, if you're acting like a buffer zone, like like we've done for, for decades and decades, it, sh it tells you something about the character of the people that are involved in this now, too. It's like these are... There are still obviously a lot of socialists in this in this government, and and now it's supposedly some more right leaning, right moderate, uh, you know, uh, Christian Democrat with uh, the Sweden Democrats, despite being the second largest party, playing some weird kind of outside role, which I haven't even fully wrapped my head around yet. Why why don't they have more influence? But anyway, um, they're still doing all the things that uh, the Social Democrats uh, did and would have done, right? But this is not your this is not your grandpa's socialism here. You know what I mean? This is like a a weakened, uh, a cowardly neoliberal one that's seeking to to huddle together with other parties just to secure their own existence. You know, or or their own safety, I should say, right? Because this won't assure you know our existence. This will actually make it more dangerous for us. Uh, now. The next question here, of course, is what is Turkey going to do? Because they're also the ones putting pressure on Sweden. They've said, basically, you can't have uh, Quran burnings. Remember that? Stoltenberg, the head of NATO, came out and said he was in support of the uh, re regional police around the Stockholm uh, area banning the burning of Korans. They said, oh, no, it's not a freedom of speech issue. It's just that it causes so much disturbance, you see, when a Quran is burnt. Uh, so therefore, it, it, that the act is illegal, not the not the rioting by Muslims who are upset in the country. That's not a criminal act. The criminal act is now basically burning the Quran, which leads to the riot. See, see how that works. But no, no, you can still burn, you can still burn the Norse Eddas or a Bible uh, or maybe a Talmud. Uh, I'm not sure about that. Uh, maybe the uh, the Kabbalah, the the Torah. I'm not sure. Uh, but anyway. Hungary is also another country that's putting pressure on um, the EU by delaying Finland and Sweden's NATO vote. It's it's good that we have a few of these. Again, the Turkey thing could be a blessing in disguise if Sweden don't agree to the terms that Turkey is putting on us. But if Sweden agrees to it, it's like it's a, the double loss, right? Double L. Uh, anyway, let me read a little bit of this from here. After Russia invaded Ukraine in February 2022, Sweden and Finland dropped their long-standing military neutrality and quickly signaled their intentions to join NATO in a striking sign of how peace powerful Europe's security fears had become 
in the shadow of Moscow, Moscow's war. But nearly a year after the Nordic countries officially applied to join the military alliance, their admission remains unresolved because of two of the third NATO members, Turkey and Hungary, still haven't approved their bids. Well, good. Please don't approve it. Although Turkish President Erdogan has repeatedly raised specific objections to the countries, especially Sweden joining NATO. We'll say what those are, because <clears throat> we know it's all Muslim uh, interest uh, issues, essentially. And again, NATO backing that up. NATO turning against actual North Atlantic countries to join with a Middle Eastern Muslim country on their demands regarding religious questions. That's that's what it's turning to, which, which nails that point uh, of what... The quote that we've uh, shown you many times with Wesley Clark, right? The uh, the idea of a nation state is a uh, is a outdated twentieth uh, century um, idea, right? Here, here's the uh, here's the quote here, so I get the right one. And this is true because remember, NATO joined essentially joined they they backed up the, the Islamic side, right? Um, it was a Mujahideen in uh, in Serbia at the time fighting and all that stuff. And we, we know who fired the first shots, right? They claim that Ser- Serbia was the aggressor, blah, 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 when, when they were not, etc. Um, here's Wesley Clark, born Wesley Ka- Kane or Khan, right? He's a, he's a Jewish guy, this guy. Let's not forget what the origin of the problem is. There is no place in modern Europe for ethnically pure states. That's a 19th century idea, and we're trying to transition into the 21st century. And we are going to do it with multi-ethnic states. So, of course, that's why Stoltenberg, because that's still an official kind of, po- like, an un- it's not a policy maybe of NATO, but it's like an understanding underneath the surface. We, we got to bring diversity to these countries. We've got to make sure that they don't have any kind of ethnic nationalism. We've got to water them down as much as possible. Ironically, making these countries weaker as well, just like you've seen in the, in the States, right? The more demographically diverse a country gets, uh, the more divided it gets, the more harder it is to, to bring in um, people that want to back up your country. When you start, re- remarkably, when you start shitting on the, you know, the, the stock, the, the historical stock that built the country, in this case, white people, people of European descent, less and less of them want to, I don't know, go and put their lives on the line for their country. Isn't that fascinating? And then the military backs that up. And and they're more interested about having trannies and having gender reassignment surgery in the U.S. military and back those people up. Those few people, by the way, the very tiny minority of people that has that and instead say, fuck the main, you know, fuck the the main staple here or the main stock, I guess, that makes up the the U.S. military. All right, let me keep going here. Hungary's populist Prime Minister Viktor Orban has long signaled that his country's support for expansion uh, and has repeatedly promised its parliament would soon vote to ratify. We've already confirmed to both Finland and Sweden that Hungary supports their NATO bids, Orban said at a meeting of Central Europe Prime Ministers last November. The Swedes and the Finns have not lost a single minute of membership because of Hungary and Hungary will certainly give them the support they need to go join. Okay, so what's the problem? But a succession of delays by Hungary's government and its shifting jurisdictions in explaining them have caused frustration and worry in Sweden, Finland and beyond and raised questions over what Hungary hopes to achieve through them. Daniel uh, Hegdes, an analyst and fellow for the Central European and German Marshall Fund. Oh, that's okay. We know what that is. Uh, That is basically the, uh, the that's kind of the root origin of like 
let's fuck over the Europeans, right? The, the, the Marshall Fund was the first one, the Marshall Plan, actually, and then that became uh, the German Marshall Fund a little bit later. They're funding all these anti-white groups today and NGOs and things like this, too. Um, and I think it was, mo- was it mostly with, there was U.S. money there, but mostly money from Germany, I believe, too, um, hence the name. But, but it was also about keeping, a lot of this was keep, uh, keeping Germany in check, right? That's why they're not their own sovereign country anymore. Uh, anyway, so the German Marshall Fund, a think tank that seeks to promote cooperation between North America and the European Union. Yes, it's about seeking one party to dominate over the other ones. Yes, here's a bunch of money. See, we'll, we'll help restore and rebuild your, uh, your nations after the Second World War. But you better do what we want you to do, okay? Anyway, that group said that at the heart of Hungary's uh, intra... That's a fancier... Uh, how do you pronounce that? Let me, let me see how you pronounce that. <clears throat> intra... It's not intra-Nissan, is it? I don't think it is. Intransigence. Intransigence. Thank you. Uh, Hungary's intransigence on NATO, NATO, which means refusal to change one's views or to agree about something. Okay. Uh, their intransigence on NATO expansion is uh, its desire to exert leverage of, on the EU, which has frozen billions in funds to Budapest over corruption and rule of law concerns. Yeah, so what in the world would Hungary try to use something to their advantage, uh, which is better for the country? If they have some leverage here, why not do that, right? So again, okay, well, if you want to be on good terms with uh, with Hungary, maybe you shouldn't say that uh, the Orban uh, government is, is a dangerous regime and we need to like topple him like some of these NGOs have said now, right? Hungary's hope, Hegedia said, is that by planning with this postponement of the voting, they can push the Swedes and the Finns to support a potential release of the Hungarian funds in April. Interesting. Or at least make these countries not vocally critical. So they're trying they're playing politics. How about that? Fascinating. They don't just submit and lay down. Hungary should just get out of the EU altogether. They should get out of NATO, too, for that matter. But, okay, it is what it is. The EU, which includes 20... Okay, that's... Uh, we don't have to talk about that. Anyway, they're targeting him. So we'll see what happens. So th- there are some things that could happen along the way. So we'll have to see. But I, I wanted to read a little bit something regarding Russia here. Because it, it basically, we would have to prepare for a potential uh, wi- lo- loss for Ukraine. Maybe that's what we'd have to explain this with. Or, or at least say... It most likely won't turn up the way that the Western media have told us it will. Whether you're supportive of that or not, that's a completely different question and doesn't neither here nor there. Just looking uh, analytically and cold, cold uh, without any emotional kind of involvement at the situation. Uh, what does it mean if if Russia comes out victorious? Because because look, you have you have so many problems right now in the West, right? You have we're basically out of ammunition. Uh, we're running low on our own weaponry because we've given all this to Ukraine. The economy is shit. Uh, in most countries, that there's there's riots, racial conflicts in many of them. That there's uh, mass protest in countries like Spain, uh, sorry France, right? Right now with this pension bill, uh, it's like a boiling pot all over the West right now. Economy is just in the toilet. 
confidence is lower than ever. The EU has all, all these problems, right? And, and now they're going to expand NATO and everyone's going to join up. And basically, they're going to take us to the brink of war with Russia. I think, I think if they really had their way, I'm talking about the establishment, the global elite right now. If they really would get their way, they would they would have uh, white brother against white brother, European against European, uh, killing each other in a ruthless, meaningless, idiotic war, right? With with Russia and most likely China would join in on that. Maybe some of the other BRICS countries would join the other side, right? <clears throat> so that they're creating a multipolar world order right now that we've talked about many times, right? That's why Xi. Uh, of China was just in Russia. They signed economic deals. Uh, they're on better terms than ever. They they even sought to to use China as some kind of mediation partner in uh, in the Ukraine conflict, which didn't really happen. But apparently Zelensky invited Xi to at least talk or something like that. But the point is, they're going to be a balancing pole. Whether you think that's good or not, but I'm saying that's it's a stepping stone to a one world government, eventually a one world order. And right now they've probably figured out that we can't just do it in one go. We have to have we probably have to have a big ass war to unify it, unify everybody, and and make them. That will be the chaos that that, that gives us the excuse of why we need to unify everybody and everything, right? Uh, it feels like they did that in the Second World War, and now they're doing it again with a uh, with another huge conflict in Europe. So anyway, let me read you something here uh, regarding an analysis on the situation. In the next few months, the central lie of Western politics will burst. Ukraine is coming to an end. No more billions of dollars sinking into the Kiev quagmire and certainly no handful of Western battle tanks should they ever come. What, Leopard 2 tanks from Germany, Abrams from the US, what was the other one? There was a few more, but there's only so much you can do, right? But anyway, that, that will make much uh, difference to events. <clears throat> Let me read that again. Um, and certainly no handful of Western battle tanks, should they ever come, will make much difference to events. Yes, okay. Russia's, Russia is in the driver's seat and has all the means of escalation at its disposal, while the West is on its last legs economically, militarily, uh, and not least morally. And I would add, <laughs> I would add just the state of our, like the demographics in our countries and, and everything that we've done, right? Or has been down to us, rather, better word choice. And then now all the pride, the LGBTQ stuff, and, and you know, I mean, it's a, they're breaking down all the facets of what we are, what made us strong at some point. And now they think we're going to go to war and fight and fight and die over over what? Right? There's nothing left. At least four Western military experts who know something of their trade have contradicted mainstream reporting in recent weeks and are now predicting the decisive weeks of Ukraine's survival. Among them is Austrian Colonel Marcus Reisner, a convinced Ukraine sympathizer. Uh, in one of his latest analysis, Reisner points to the considerable Russian resources and has to concede. Quote, Ukraine could win several rounds, but there has been no knockout yet. The Russian side, he says, still has stocks of at least 10 million artillery shells at its disposal, plus 3.4 million new shells produced each year. So they are in a position to fight this war even longer while things are now getting tight for Kiev. And that's true. I'll have a little more to read here. The, what the, they were in the green for the first time in a long time Russia's bank right we showed you the <laughs> we showed you the article 
of the fact that the sanctions have now basically inoculated the country against, let me see if I can find that, basically inoculated country against the financial uh, crash that's happening in other parts of the country. Do I have that? I don't have that headline. Anyway, just uh, just trust me. That's what <laughs> that's what's going on essentially. Now, it, there's no guarantee of that, but I'm saying that's fascinating. That the sanctions coming at the time that it came has basically ensured that they might ensure that they're not going to be dragged down by the same you know problems that are right now uh, plaguing the West uh, economically. Uh, yeah, here's not that article, but here's the other one of showing that the. Um, Russia's uh, central bank posts record current account surplus of 227 billion in 2020. Uh, again, who reports this? Is it true? Are they lying? Are they, are they exaggerating? All that could still be, be true, right? Let me continue reading here. Eric Vaud, ex-brigadier general and former military policy advisor to German Chancellor Angela Merkel, is more explicit. He sees Russia clearly on the advance and agrees with U.S. Chief of Staff Mark Milley. Quote, that a military victory for Ukraine is not to be expected, unquote. He is surprised, however, at the extensive synchronization of the media, the likes of which I have never experienced in the Federal Republic of Germany. This is pure opinion mongering. One wonders, however, in which world the Honorable Ex-General has been living in the last decades. The fourth member of the group is the former Pentagon advisor and former U.S. Colonel Douglas McGregor. We play some clips with him. He seems pretty balanced and stable, to be honest. I guess people call him, you know, Russia shield just because he doesn't believe the Ukraine will win or whatever. Um, but he seems obviously 10 times more balanced than mainstream Western reporting uh, in this case. In several recent interviews, including those of the uh, at the, the inter- independent U.S. outlet redacted, he not only addressed the immense losses of the Ukrainians, in some ca- cases up to 70 percent of the original battalion strength, but also the rampant repression of the Ukrainian Domestic Intelligence Services, SBU, against its own population. A sure sign that the end is near. If the Kyiv leadership does not agree to negotiations soon, there will be a little more, uh, little more left of Ukraine than a rump state west of Dnieper, says McGregor. He does not want to rule out the possibility of a coup movement against the Kyiv junta in view of the horrendous losses at the front. If not, Moscow itself would be forced to finish the job and mop up the Zelensky regime. A new Ukrainian government would probably be sensible enough to enter into peace negotiations. In the best case, Russia would thus also have achieved its wartime goal of, and here's the cringe part, denazifying Ukraine. Yeah, is yeah, both sides are screaming Nazi, and it's, it's, you, it couldn't be more cringe, right? Uh, it, it's such a small part of it and it's obviously not that and someone said too like oh Zelensky will fight what was it he will what was it again it was some tweet today by the uh, Nexta uh, Eastern European outlet and it was something like he will fight to the last man or something like that and some, you know I was pointing out like well how would he if he was running Israel right because he's Jewish Zelensky what would he would he do the things that he does now right remember that story we talked about how, how on some front lines in the conflict, Ukrainians last only as long as about four hours. They're literally being sent into the meat grinder. And here we are to expect that the stand standing with Ukraine is to arming them with mes- Western, you know, weapons and ammunition. 
while that's leading us to be defenseless eventually and, and ripe for an, an invasion of our own or occupation. <clears throat> but giving that to Ukrainians and sending them into the meat grinder. That's standing with Ukraine instead of having the adults sitting down at the table talking about this and try to sort out the, the, the issues of what's been happening in eastern parts of Ukraine over the last, I don't know, what, 20 years now or whatever it is, 15 years. Last uh, line of this here, even a mainstream newspaper like the German Daily Welt or Die Welt rather, uh, had to admit recently 30, on the 31st of January that in the foreseeable future Russia will emerge from the conflict as the victor not only militarily but also politically. While Ukraine will not achieve any of its goals, certainly not the reconquest of Crimea, Russia will in the course of an inevitable negotia uh, negotiated settlement enforce that Ukraine's NATO membership quote, will be excluded for the foreseeable future, unquote. Nothing else was demanded by Moscow before the war began almost a year ago, and, quote, the result will be an amputated Ukraine. Uh, didn't they, well, they put the, the it was over the shelling, right, of, of the eastern parts in, in Donbass and the Luhansk and all those regions in the eastern parts of Ukraine too, right? That's, of course, one of the reasons why Putin took uh, kids out of that <coughs> war zone. Uh, to actually keep the Russian-speaking population safe from, from war. And then the International Criminal Court sees that as a, <clears throat> a, a, well, a genus, against the genocide convention, right, of forcefully removing kids and stuff. And it's funny, it's like they would never raise any of those points when it comes to like the war crimes during the Bush regime or Tony Blair, the lice during the war on terror or anything like that, or, or even something that's happening in our countries right now, or like f forcefully creating an atmosphere which causes you to um, not want to uh, procreate, right? To, uh, replacing the population, these kinds of things. Oh, no, no, that's fine, you see. Anyway, I'm not a Putin sycophant or, or like, you know, completely enamored by Russia or even like, oh, they have to, you know, it is what it is. I'm, I'm just looking cold-heartedly at the situation and saying like, they have awful lot of resources, right? And if they're producing, as this article says, about three was it 3 million 3.4 million new shells produced each year maybe look maybe it doesn't come down to shells at the end of the day too right there's other things we're talking nukes and things like that but i'm saying it would be a disaster if we have nato uh entering into russia or uh nato at least going into ukraine and having that conflict there and stuff like that and i think the current situation the west as it would be, of course, you know, with the U with U.S. and all the European countries and stuff like that, would of course be an a overwhelming force for Russia. It doesn't nukes would enter into at that point, you know what I mean? And you would have an awful lot of Europeans dying o over this. It's just a fact. And I'm saying it's completely ridiculous and reckless, and it's almost like they want us to die. <clears throat> How about that? Which is, which, is, which is a shock genuinely to everybody, I, I'm sure. All right, let me do this one here. Uh, Chalky Milk says, uh, It'd be great if Hungary, Hungary's terms for Sweden to join NATO were that Swedes not making it illegal to burn the Quran. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it's true. It, it would have been... They. I'm not sure if they can, like... I'm not sure the legal part of this, right? But, like, can they put any... If Turkey can do it... You see what I'm saying? If Turkey can do it, why can't Hungary do it? Oh, our, uh, you know, our demand is that um, Turkey doesn't meddle in, in another NATO, in NATO applicants' countries' uh, uh, internal affairs or whatever, right? 
Yep, it's true. <clears throat> Turkey has started, uh, Chain Reaction says, Turkey has started selling really cheap attack drones, which Russia, China, etc. love. Yeah, that's what's so weird about it. I'm not sure. I mean, what is it? You have the the Armenia situation. Let me see if I can piece that together, right? Over the contested region. Well, no, I guess no, I guess it's Turkey supplying Azerbaijan, right? And then you have Russia helping Armenia on one end. And that's why was it Israel has been helping out Azerbaijan, right? Another Muslim country, as opposed to Armenia, a Christian country. Big surprise, big shock, right? They're just trying to can't you know ban Christianity uh, or, or proselytizing uh, Jesus in in Israel recently? Apparently, last news on that is that they're they're dropping that. Oh, thank you, Netanyahu, uh, for dropping that. But it just shows you which side they're on, right? But th th that would put them on a you know kind of a, on Russia on a two front war as they're trying to help out in Armenia and things like that would to weaken them, right? But yeah, you have all these weird alliances back and forth of of uh, uh, things that are. You know what I mean? Beneficial, right? Hexacod podcast said uh, a few minutes ago here. Good call, pointing out that uh, that Yid who said that in that in ethnic European sta states are a 19th century policy. Uh, it's basically every single time at this point. Yeah, essentially, it is essentially that. Okay, so that's a little bit of update on the uh, on the NATO situation, which I think is crazy, uh, and we just have to come to terms with this idea that Russia might come out stronger in this and. Barring that we have, barring that we have a an entry of NATO countries into the conflict and everything just pops off and nukes come to play, we might have to come to terms with the fact that this will just weaken Western countries even more as we just pour more and more money into this. And I'm just saying it's just it's just not worth it. It's it. They need to sit down and negotiate. And obviously, Ukraine had done done a bunch of dumb shit. And part of that is being America's bitch and those who control American foreign policy, right? If you look at the people, I mean, the Victoria Newlands, uh, you know, the Ann Apple bombs, um, <clears throat> Anthony Blinken. I mean, this is just an endless list of the the. K Kagan's right. She was married to New, uh, Newland. All these neocons, Zionists, and stuff. They they hate Russia. It doesn't make, just because Russia out of all the right enemies doesn't mean you're like oh therefore Russia is my hero. You know it does. It's not that simple either. <clears throat> That's what the other side would claim. That I'm a Russian Russian sycophant just because I I don't think the side that NATO and the West and these neocon Zionists who are controlling American foreign policy just because I don't join their side I automatically have to be with the other side right. We'll see what happens, but we have to come to terms with that, that we might just basically be in a situation where we just get weaker and weaker and weaker gradually because of this conflict instead of not doing what we did. These were all stupid moves. And then Russia comes out even stronger from this and they have a better international cooperation with other countries and stuff like that. Uh, and, and I mean, Russia doesn't stand up for nationalism in other countries. He, Putin says the right things sometimes to get our pe people in our countries to like become anti our own governments like obviously that's a that's a tactic right that's a destabilization tactic with which russia it, it's so easy for them to just use that as something to that they can like whip out it doesn't cause anything for them to to talk shit about western governments and point out by the way all the things that are you know co correctly insane that, that the western governments are doing uh but that will just cause more destabilization but at the same time it's not not because 
people who are dissidents in our countries should just therefore shut up and, and, and obey our governments. They are they genuinely hate us and want us gone. So that they, they are our enemies. You know, what I mean, these these uh, policymakers, those are pushing this war. Those are trying to replace us, the establishment and the globalists. Right. They, they are our enemies. So they have to be uh, uh, we have to be opposed to them and their actions right now, obviously. But Ukraine did a bunch of dumb moves, and yes, now they have to, you know, as I say, do do you know, do dumb shit, uh, find out, or how, how does it go? Putting bio labs, you know, on the <laughs> in their countries, allowing to all this <clears throat> money being uh, laundered in the country and all that kind of stuff. It's like a criminal, criminal enterprise. Uh, McDonald's says, uh, "Iron Miner, effort to separate your objectivity from supporting Putin. The emotions are confused." When we're trying to discuss the plights of our white brothers and sisters in Ukraine and Russia, yes, all right, you must support whites, but not the governments which abuses us. Yes, 100%. Putin, Zelensky, Biden, and greedy merchants alike. That's absolutely right. Thank you, McDozer. Good comment. Uh, yeah, you get a what's what's good for us at the end. Uh, I mean, as I said, I think whether Russia was in on this or not, but I think there's a, a an intentional management position at some point here to drive Russia into the hands of China. Where, where else could they have gone, right? And India and some African countries and just you know, creating the Eurasian zone, essentially, in the multipolar world order. Um, the BRICS, you know, faction. And then presumably have those just like you had in 1984. You have you have uh, Oceania versus, uh, um, um, what was the other one? Pas- Pas- not Pacifica, what was it? In- Asia Pacifica? What was the other one in uh, 1984? Anyway, you, you know what I'm saying? Oh, you know what I'm saying? <clears throat> oh, to rations today. You know, remember that, all that stuff with like, oh, good news. We have, you know, more tanks have been built. And there's the, the, you know, as they're sitting and eating their soy, the, their fake meat soy in this, and the slop in these like tin cups. They're just repeating the statistics during the war, right? <laughs> and, uh, oh, sh- choc- chocolate rations are up again. Oh, great. You know, <clears throat> And will be it'll be less for a while. I thought it would be more brave new world, you know. But like now, it's like it's probably more 1984 to be honest, right? Um, you got to have those two. It, this is it's Coca Cola and Pepsi. You know what I mean? It's uh, it's BlackRock versus Vanguard. You know, it's um, pick pick it. You have to pick a side here in the poll in the, uh, between the the polls. Chalky rations are up. They are indeed up. Chalky milk. Good news. All right. All right. You want to talk about the Spice Police? Did you see? <laughs> did you see this one yet? <clears throat> yeah, that is a blend between like it's a it's a bl- they'll still have like the drugs and the technology from Brave New World, but it will be mixed with the 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 <clears throat> the the slop <laughs> and the dirty, never-ending war of of two major poles. Um, from 1984 as well. This is a merger of those two. The, and that, at the end of the day, and that's why you want to put on your VR headset and getting in the pod, because who want to live in this gray, horrible reality? All right. <clears throat> Here we go. Here's um, the Spice Police TM came out, and they were coming down on this woman. Because she replied, and she had replied to a video that sh- that was made about her, or comments about her, how, how she wasn't spicing her chicken. 
So here's this. Uh, oh, there's a, the uh, <coughs> this the spice Karen or what, what, what? It was something like that that was flying around about this, right? But so she she corrected she correctly corrected them on the <coughs> on the spice on the spice uh, questions. So I want to I want to go through. I want to dig deep into this here a little bit and talk uh, give give you a little education here on the <coughs> on the on the seasoning thing on the salt thing on what was that enabled even these seasonings and spices to go all around the world, right? Things like this. Anyway, let's look at the uh, video first. And so, of course, this was a this was white woman uh, who accurately came back at all her uh, presumably anti-white uh, detractors, smacked them in their place with this video. This is a PSA to the seasoning police on this app. If in your brain you only view seasoning as things like garlic powder, onion powder or maybe something like rosemary if this is what you view as seasoning and seasoning only let me pose you a question what does this come from granulated garlic what is that garlic onion powder what does that come from dehydrated onion let's take a look at the spice rub dehydrated garlic onion and bell pepper i sauteed those bell peppers along with my onion and garlic Hmm. What is so funny to me is if I had just doused my chicken in this rub, in this rub alone, the seasoning police would be out of my comments. They wouldn't even be in there. But the second it's fresh garlic or fresh onion or fresh bell pepper, it's automatically not seasoning. And let me just say one last thing. If you're one of those people that loves to watch cooking competitions and a judge says something is under seasoned, they're talking about salt. Under seasoning your food means there's not enough salt in it. Salt is gonna bring out the flavor of onion, the flavor of garlic, the flavor of whatever random spice rub that you Yeah, whatever, Whiteley. You're talking gibberish now, Whiteley. I, I can't even follow this, okay? Have. And let me just say that if your food tastes a little off, it's not because you need to add more powder. It's most of the time because you need to add more salt or some sort of acid like lemon juice or vinegar, okay? All right, there you go. <clears throat> so that was it. Three, I think, what was the last say here? 3.4 million views, right? <clears throat> and everybody was uh, was coming down on her for 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 this uh, this issue here. Uh, basically, white yeah, white people don't uh, don't spice your food, right? That's uh, that's the saying. Okay, <clears throat> so uh, let's begin with the Silk Road, shall we? Uh, yes, certainly there was cooperation on the Chinese. Uh, side of the Han Chinese was part of setting up uh, the the Silk Road, the trade routes, and all these kinds of things, right? Uh, but uh, genuinely, in terms of what, at the end of the day, enabled the spice trade and eventually global trade to happen, such as I don't know, just you know, circumnavigating the oceans and the globe uh, to bringing all these spices everywhere, was of course what the Europeans consequently did. So we have to go back to, uh, for example. Uh, uh, what's his name again? The uh, uh, where is he? Uh, Marco Polo. That's right, Marco Polo. Right, one of the most famous travelers of the Silk Road was Marco Polo, 1254 to 1324, born into a family of wealth, uh, wealthy merchants. I don't think that <laughs> in Venice, Italy, Marco traveled with his father to China and then Cathay um, when he was just 17 years of age. They traveled for over three years before arriving at Kublai Khan's place at Xanadu in 1275. Marco stayed at the Khan's court and was sent on a mission to parts of Asia and before visited by Europeans. Upon his return, Marco Polo wrote about his adventures, making him and the routes he traveled famous. Right? So, of course, all of this led to the age of exploration partially, right? That's here. 
And also, by the way, we got uh, the bitter end uh, of this deal because potentially uh, the Black Death was introduced to Europe through the Silk Road, but no one was talking about that. No, one, we weren't, you know, colonized that way because we had, uh, you know, diseases come to our uh, to our shores or whatever. But anyway, um, the age of exploration gave rise to faster routes between east and west, but parts of the Silk Road continue to be critical pathways among varied cultures. Uh, today, parts of the Silk Road are listed on UNESCO's World Heritage Site. Right, so that's where we can kind of begin uh, the journey. But as I said, the technology to transport, of course, the Silk Road transport a lot of different things. Right? So it wasn't just spices, but spices was was part of that. It was it was coveted. There was things that that we wanted in the West, and in many cases, not always, but in many cases, we went to them. Right, we we told these other people where they were in relation to the rest of the world, while we are setting up uh, the the trade routes, we're inventing the technology, we're inventing the the navigation, and all these kinds of things that led to the age of discovery or the age of exploration. This is just dominated, of course, by uh, Europeans, specifically the Portuguese and the Spanish. And yes, you can go into you don't have to go into a revisionist thing here, but you can also just add that many. Uh, uh, prior civilizations in Europe were, of course, doing similar things as well, right? We've talked about uh, the Vikings and their uh, colonization of uh, North America or Norse America. Uh, that happened. There's potential that uh, Carthaginians were over there. There's potentially that the Romans were over there. But the point is, like, and it, there's even speculation the Viking went as far as uh, as Africa, uh, Northern Africa. Uh, and of course, again, there, there was trade routes for the most part. Yes, there was raiding. Yes, there was uh, raping on certain uh, you know places along the way, but there were also traders, right? They uh, they they traded, uh, they sold goods, all that kind of stuff. So we have, uh, have had waves of waves of that. Uh, and again, you wouldn't have any of that without without Europeans, right? Anyway, we don't have to look more at this. This is uh, from uh, from the Met Museum. Europe and the Age of Exploration. They have a little bit on the on the history of this, right? They begin with Columbus and the Queen Elizabeth and the voyages to India and all that kind of stuff. But again, all of this enabled uh, <laughs> people today to have access to their goddamn spices, right? <clears throat> the other thing with this is, of course, the, the different technologies that were used by Europeans of why we didn't need spices. Or, or rather, let me turn around and say, Spices were used by other cultures, not primarily, but for the most part as preservatives, right? Adding spices to food would increase its shelf life, preventing food loss due to the antioxidants and antimicrobial benefits. Okay, so that's why they use it. Most spices didn't grow in the uh, you know northern Europe or northern parts of the world where, where white people live, right? Some do, of course. I'm not saying there's no spices there, but I'm saying... Some of the you know the the spice the hottest spices uh, grows in in warm uh, in warm areas. Ironically, uh, of course, that helps to to preserve the the meats and things that they had there. So you could say it's it's you know it, it's for them then or whatever. But we had, see we had different techniques as well. We had root cellars that I'm not even sure how far back that goes. Uh, you probably have to go back quite a bit to uh, to figure that out when we started just discovering that like the the temperature of the earth is is a, is a permanent one that's basically your your ancient fridge right there so we didn't have to have that we didn't have to have a bunch of spices to to uh, use as preservatives for for our foods and furthermore we used we used salt right 
I'll get to the salt in a moment. But anyway, all of this, le that, that led us up to the refrigeration. We had that without electricity. That was invented by white, white people. Then we, of course, invented the first refrigerator. I forget what uh, the names was. Um, the first instance of artificial refrigeration was demonstrated by Scottish physician and professor William Cullen in 1748. He observed and demonstrated the cooling effect of rapidly evaporating a liquid into a gas, but did not put his method into practical use. The modern mechanical refrigeration process we know today from the work of numerous inventors in the 1800s, American Jacob Perkins invented the first vapor compression system in 1834, while German professor Carl von Linde patented a new process for liquefying gases in the late 1800s. Refrigeration, uh, refrigerator innovations led to widespread commercial refrigeration at the turn of the 20th century for industries like breweries and meat packing plants. And it goes on from there. Fred, um, Fred W. Wolf, I think, if, if invented the first home electrical refrigerator. These people don't like white people and Europeans. Maybe you should do away with these kinds of inventions. Maybe these people should decolonize uh, their life, right? There's a, and while we're on it, there's a number of other inventions that you can uh, that you can look at. Uh, for example, if you hate uh, white people, yet, and ironically, you could actually reverse this and say the tr those who trade spices today are ironically appropriating our culture by using the technology that it takes to transport those spices to other parts of the world. There wouldn't even be a North America without, uh, in its current form, and these people are complaining on this woman if it wasn't for European exploration, right? Next time you use a phone, thank a white guy. Some good ones there. Next time you flip on a light, thank a white guy. Next time you board a plane, thank a white guy. When you use the internet, thank a white guy. Next time you read a book, thank a white guy. Next time you ride in a vehicle, you can thank a white guy. When you watch satellite or cable TV, thank a white guy. When you use insulin, thank these white guys. <laughs> anyway, you get the point, right? Awful lot of things. But you see, it's only, what is the, what was the story? Uh, oh, where did it go? Did I not add it in? The is it appropriation? Ah, I had it here anyway. Yeah, was it is it appropriation if we uh, if we use technology? I thought I had it in. All right. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so which takes us to the 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 preservative method that we did uh, prefer, which of course was salt. Right. This is a whole. I mean, just fascinating thing. Like, if you want to find out like why civilization rose, you can obviously argue the first step was like along rivers was the most common, or at least big lakes, but rivers were even more common of where early settlements happen. Uh, but the salt lines is a very important thing. And today uh, you have remnants of the large salt uh, salt mines, which of course uh, you can, it, it's not interchangeable with salt lines, but the salt mines are found where the salt lines go, obviously, right? Uh, but there's these incredible places, even today, that have been used for such a long time, that we Europeans and some others have built like uh, cathedrals and like impressive uh, underground wonders in these uh, salt mines and salt caves, right? This is in uh, Poland, a, a UNESCO site here. Uh, Wileczka, if I pronounced that correct, and uh, Bo Bochnia Royal Salt Mines. The deposits of rock salt in these areas have been mined since the 13th century. This major industrial undertaking has royal status and is the oldest of its type in Europe. The site is a serial property consisting of those two mines that I mentioned and the Salt Works Castle. 
Here's another one. Seven beautiful subterranean salt mines from around the world. And surprisingly, uh, the majority of them are <clears throat> in Europe. The first one is that one we just mentioned in, in Poland. Uh, there's one in Germany, too, the salt mine Berechtesgaden. Is that how to pronounce that? Here's one in Pakistan. Okay, they got one. Two, I think it's in Romania. Look at these things. <clears throat> uh, here's another one in Poland. Check this out. That's what we do with sh our shit here. Here's another one in Romania. There's one in Colombia, but anyway. And here's one more in Romania. So what do we have? We have five out of seven or something like that. Um, and in fact, there's a whole... Oh, I didn't... Yeah, I didn't add that one yet. Did I? That's the, check out this one. It's kind of interesting. <clears throat> the salt lines that was actually followed by uh, the Cistercian monks, right? They actually built some of the Cistercian monasteries along the salt lines. And again, vital component in how you preserve your meat. That's part of civilization. It's adjacent to farming. It's you know, All these things are connected, right? Um, and of course, one of the reasons we should mention too is not because they just found them. Many of these uh, places were important to the native European people before Christianity arrived. And so the Cistercians, all they have to do was basically pick up on these uh, important and in some cases, yes, sacred locations and build their monasteries as Christianity was colonizing uh, Europe at that time. But the point is, uh, so you can find like a line from today all the way back in, into like prehistory uh, by following where the salt activities were, where the salt lines and the salt mines uh, lay, basically. They call them salt factories. Check that out. Uh, there are a certain number of medieval monasteries, other Cistercian buildings, within parentheses, salt factories and water mills that are abandoned or ruined or converted into hotels, such as blah, 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 right? Uh, but anyway, that's a, it's a, that's a whole thing, but it's a fascinating thing uh, how, that, uh, how salt basically has uh, helped to create civilization. <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> I bet you these people don't know anything about that when they attack this woman uh, for the spices, whether whether you think we should use it or not. And it's also just like it's always just the the like the hot spices that they complain on. And it's like, yeah, because you, you didn't have any re refrigeration and you didn't at least we gave you some of this technology, but you didn't do it at the time that we did it. Um, so you had to use these hot spices. And so it's not some like uh, only some kind of like culturally enriching thing. It was like a necessity, right? While we used salt. <clears throat> but furthermore, then we came down and we set up trade routes and we circumnavigated the globe to bring you these spices to all over the world. Okay, so shut the hell up. Well, I said this, at least, at least we weren't doing this. I'm going to show y'all how I clean my motherfucking chicken. This is how my grandma showed me, my mama showed me, and this is how I do it for me. So you're going to put in a little bit of Clorox. It has to be name brand Clorox bleach oil. It will not taste right. Once you put your Clorox, you're going to take a little bit, I mean, maybe about two drops of the Dawn dish detergent. Don't put a lot. That's what people mess up at. You only need two drops. Once you do that, you're going to... A little bit of Clorox and a little bit of Dawn. Okay. Soak it around inside of your mix, move it around until you see the water look a little bit hazy. That means the chicken is now clean. Then you're gonna rinse it right here. My chicken started going down my drainer. I had to bring that shit back up because it was going down, and I cannot lose my chicken because I only got a little bit. So once I got all my chicken back to the top, of course, I go ahead and hit a little bit of water, rinse it off, and then once I rinse it off, I'm gonna go ahead and now start the seasoning. I'm gonna put my complete seasoning on it just a little bit, a little bit of garlic powder, a little bit of um onion powder, and then of course my Lowry seasoning salt. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Garlic powder and onion powder. So you can't see, you can't, you can't use 
actual mushrooms or actual garlic or actual onions and then just use you know as the lady said salt or like a citric acid to bring to to bring out those flavors you have to use the powdered shit <laughs> that's what it, so that's what all this is about <laughs> you goddamn white folks you forgot the Clorox too, okay? Mix it up really, really good, and I'm gonna put it inside of a bowl, put it in the refrigerator for about 15, 20 minutes. Later, cool. I'm gonna show y'all how I clean All right, my anyway, motherfucking. You get the idea. I thought that was funny. All right. Oh my god. <clears throat> well, speaking about food, and uh, yeah, with that chicken go down the drain, it's hilarious. What the hell could you? There's no other way you can think of doing that. All right. Anyway, um, let me see here. Check out this one. <clears throat> this is some great stuff here. Today, some shit lib here, lady. Kat Tibaldi explores the gendered digital traditionalism of granola Nazis. I think we've talked about this before, right? Online influencers who, check this out. Look at what they're coming down on here. Who celebrate farming, health, and organic food. And blend natural living. Let me highlight this for you. And they blend natural living with far-right politics, linking nature and whiteness with anti-feminism. This is from a account... uh, GNET, the Global Network on Extremism and Technology, an academic research initiative backed by GIFCT. I think I've heard of them before. This is a special project delivered by. Let me just uh, let me just check this out here. Yeah, GIFCT. How do I? Yeah, I think I know one that is. Okay, this is some bo- bullshit in London here. Okay, all right. Anyway. My point was, imagine, imagine being so dumb and so retarded that you are now actively taking a stand against farming and health, organic food, natural living, nature itself. And of course, it's retarded to take a stand against whiteness as well. So we'll throw that in there too. But it's like, so the, these are obviously like anti-white whites for the most part, I would assume. You never know, but let's assume the, the point is all you potentially would have to do to like to paint these people into a corner is to take an increasing reasonable uh, take increasing reasonable positions on things, and and this proves it. This proves how we have been able to move the needle, and not that it's like a, a directed plan. I think from the get go, the reason why normal regular people are into so-called far-right politics is because that's the only fucking position that makes sense and are reasonable these days because the other side is insane and are lunatics but it shows you that there's you got to be edgier or come up with increasingly you know esoteric takes and convoluted thing you know difficult uh, ways of inter- like new complicated ways of looking at the situation and the problems we face that most people can't follow Th- things like this proves that that's completely just pointless right 
like you don't have to do Roman salute. You can just you, you can just be into. But not that I don't have. If you want to do that, go ahead. That's fine. I don't do anything against that. You know that that's our culture. The symbols that the National Socialists use and the gestures that they use. That's all European culture. It goes back thousands of years, right? Goes back to Rome. Goes back to pre-Christian times with the uh, swastika and the sonorod and all those other things. It's not it's nothing dangerous with that. But I'm just saying, just just from an optics thing, you just have to have normal normal people. Normal, cool, calm, reasonable people doing normal shit, reasonable things, and these people will actively take a stance against you on on every single issue. I'm saying we hold the power to paint these people, uh, they're painting themselves, of course, into a corner, right? But paint them into a toxic, unhealthy, miserable, childless existence. And they will just—they will be in the corner of that of that room that they've like painted themselves into, and die there, alone, lonely in that corner. If we just continue to do normal, regular things, and look, these are not the only problems that we face, of course, right? But at least to get rid of some of these crazy anti-white whites, you just—you don't—you just have to—you've continue continue to live well, be healthy, <laughs> be healthy, promote your healthiness, be fit, be happy, have more kids, right? All these things. These are things that we need anyway. It's not that this is some like, you know, difficult, uh, uh, you know, extra thing you have to do. No, this is the fundamental basis of how I would assume most people who live, who, who uh, watch the show would want to live their lives. Maybe you don't have all those things. That's fine. There's time. Don't, don't worry about it. I'm not coming down on you for that. But I'm just saying a lot of those things are, of course, things you want to do anyway. But the fact that it pisses, it pisses these people off so much that they have to take an active position against it and thereby undermining themselves and their very perpetuation and how they live their their lives is is hilarious to me <laughs> it's it's incredible what you actually can pull off uh if you just uh keep doing things well right um fashy chad says uh, we should tell them to wash chicken with ammonia and bleach there you go <clears throat> and uh, level uh, 104 light says uh Hashtag snake juice diet. Whites out uh, out here fasting like Odin, Christ, Muhammad, Buddha, Vedas, Quetzalcoatl, Hermes, etc. By seasoning our water with salt and KCL. What is KCL? Uh, I'm probably missing that. KCL. What is that? KCL benefits came up. Let me see. Oh, no, that's something else. Okay. <laughs> Someone's searching for benefits of something in... in is it uh, okay? Potassium chloride. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that that makes sense. Yeah, potassium salt. Uh, yes, absolutely. Okay, cool. Yeah, um, yeah. Fasting is good too. That's it's great. <laughs> it's it's very important uh, at times to do that too. No, this is uh, this is it's 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 incredible how you can push these people. Uh, so yeah, here's the the research: granola Nazis, digital traditionalism, the folkish movement, the normalized. Uh, the folkish movement, the normalization of the far right. See, that's what we want right there. That's right. It's we're normalizing the shit out of that bitch. Okay? That's how it goes. Uh, if you want to take a stand against this and be an unhealthy, toxic uh, shit lib uh, without, uh, who's not in touch with nature, who's destructive, go right ahead. Okay? Won't cry any tears over that for you. All right. And by the way, Speaking of like, uh, I guess the curse of advancements, going back to the the spice issue that we talked about earlier, um, or rather maybe when you have the 
control of the material world at your disposal. You have everything you ever wanted at your fingertips, but you have yet not learned to control the most fundamental basic impulses and instincts of yourself. This is, of course, what happens. And I guess this speaks to uh, Level 104's chat there, too. Uh, that yes, some some fasting now and then would actually do uh, do some good. More than half of the world will be obese by 2035. Report says, "Huh, fascinating. I wonder who did that. It's a curse, right? But then again, it's success. Obesity has often been thought of as a problem of the developed world, with wealthy countries eating themselves into a state of ill health." With an abundance of ultra-processed foods and poorer ones, we're often suffering from food insecurity. But that's no longer true. According to a March report from the World Obesity Atlas, that there's one of those, more than half of the global population, 51%, over 4 billion people, will have obesity by 2035. Unless, of course, they starve us all to death before then and cut off the uh, fertilizer supply. And the condition will touch all regions and continents of the world. Antarctica too? Fascinating. The total cost of treating illnesses related to obesity will be an estimated $4 trillion per year, which is about how much the COVID-19 pandemic cost the world in healthcare expenses in 2020. Oh my God. Cost that much? Ay, 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 ay. Holy smokes. The new projection marks a sharp jump from current 2023 numbers. Right now, about 3.12 billion people, 39% of the global population, have obesity. But 15 years ago, in 2008, the global obesity rate was 23.9, affecting 1.63 billion. So ironically, it's, of course, you know, yes, processed food and, again, shipment. Um, the, the, the way to maximize crop yields, you know, just produce food overall, right? And, of course, again, yes, that's that's at the hands, for the most part, of, uh, of white people, right? European civilization. So ironically, that's like a... That's become like a curse, a curse now, at least if you can't control your impulses and, and kind of keep your, again, this is why it's important to, to be in control of your, uh, uh, of your instincts uh, in a way and not be a, a slave to your, whether it's vices uh, or you know, gluttony or something like that, uh, or just being led around by, by, you know, mouth pleasure or whatever it is, right? Whatever pleasure you're getting from something, because you'll be, you'll, you'll end up being run by them and, and controlled by them ultimately, uh, as opposed to you actually being in control of them. Uh, but ironically, which is which almost like, we will probably, I wonder if that will be a problem in that capacity by 2035. We'll see. It depends on what happens with the global, um, you know, fertilizer supply and these kinds of things, and the the shakeup in that uh, in that department. A lot of people, of course, said we prepare for, you know, like shortages. Uh, prepare for shit to basically go go south on this front. So then this wouldn't be a problem. But at the same time, ironically, this is almost like, in a weird way, that would be, it would be a blessing for us to get to drop this globalized shit that we have and, and actually going back to basics again, right? Just going back to some level of, of normality, essentially. Um, back in touch with nature, uh, more farm living, close to the land, these kinds of things. I, I think we live in a completely upside down, upside down world right now. And with the advent of AI, which we'll talk about in a little bit, this is... Uh, not get again any better uh, unless we get some m a massive uh, destabilization or some kind of shakeup of, of of where this is going right now, where the system is taking us. Uh, all right, so we'll get to um, 
we'll get to the AI stuff in uh, in just a little bit here. Just want to mention real quick the. Uh, let me see here. Yeah, you know, I want to mention the. Uh, you have some uh, crazy shit happening in the West when it comes to the pride, uh, the pride things, right? The LGBTQ stuff and and the tranny things. <clears throat> so, we'll see how Western nations react to this. Uh, but in Africa, they're apparently taking a different stance uh, on things. Uganda specifically, they have introduced, actually, they're they're poised to pass or adopt a <clears throat> controversial bill that uh, will lead to the death penalty for gay sex. <laughs> a controversial bill has passed the Ugandan parliament making aggravated homosexuality a capital offense. Uganda's parliament has voted overwhelmingly in favor of a bill making certain homosexual acts a capital crime. The measure has now been sent to the president, Yuweri Museveni, uh, who is expected to sign it despite vocal foreign opposition. See, that, see how that works there, too? Vocal foreign opposition. Well, maybe they maybe they don't like the, the gay sex in Uganda. Okay, let them. Good for them. <laughs> Good for them. You get is NPR Uganda to jail people who identify as LGBTQ in one of the world's most anti-gay laws. <clears throat> Remember what happened in Russia when they just like introduced legislation that said you can't sell this to kids, like you can't propagandize kids into this lifestyle. Okay, we're banning that. You want to do your gay stuff? Okay, sure, do it in your closet, right? Kind of thing. Uh, but you, you, you don't have access to kids. You don't have a right to do it. Well, these guys just, just hold my beer. Here we go. Let's just let's just kill the people that have gay, that have gay sex. But again, I'm not holding my breath to see uh, to actually see if uh, if they come out strongly against it because now it's an African country. It's a, a developed country. These are, after all, kind of our uh, our heroes, the the the, the native uh, the noble savages, you know, of, of sorts, right? <laughs> Nigeria, by the way, had a similar thing uh, a while back, too. Let me see if I can find this headline here. Yes, here it is, sir. <clears throat> Rapist will be surgically castrated, and anyone who rapes a child will face the death penalty under new laws in a Nigerian state. So I guess it's just a state in the in the country then, but still. Uh, there you go. Whoopsie-daisy. <clears throat> we'll see. I'm, I'll uh, not hold my breath waiting for... Uh, international sanctions with against Hungary, who basically just want to. They haven't said we're going to ban, uh, you know, LGBTQ stuff. I mean, they should, but I'm saying they haven't even said that. Russia didn't say that either. Their EU countries willing to initiate sanctions against uh, Hungary, or like we need to top. You know, there's talking heads in, in Western media like we need to topple, uh, you know, Orban. We need to take this government, the regime, out in Hungary. And put our own pro-Western, pro-gay puppets in place. Will they do the same for Uganda? Will they talk anything like this about Nigeria? I'm not sure. We'll just have to. Uh, we basically just have to see. Okay. Oh, and I'm going to show you. Look at this real quick here. This is this is a disaster, right? All the things that are happening in our country when it comes to uh, demographics and replacement and stuff like that. Now we are getting information from Eurostat. I show this in the. Western Warrior Show too, that the excess mortality rape, rape, yeah, you could say that. It is. It's, we're, our, our people have indeed been raped on multiple levels. Uh, our excess mortality rose sharply to 19% in December of 2022. Now you can argue, 
what in the what in the world could have caused this? Right? Here's the interactive map here. Percentage change compared with 2016 to 2019 average. Portugal, almost 15%. Spain, 10, almost 10. France, 25, almost 25%. Switzerland, almost 23%. Germany, 37.3% excess mortality. Oh my God. Slovenia, 25. Austria, 27. Czech Republic, 23rd. Poland, almost 18. 20 in uh, Latvia, right? Uh, sorry, Lithuania. 17.8 in Latvia and uh, almost 23 in Estonia. Finland, 21%. Norway, 21 Ireland, 25 And we don't, we don't have any input data, or any data, rather, just for uh, the UK yet, for Sweden, and for Italy. And I know it's bad in these countries, too. I'm wondering why they're withholding the data. Well, what's the reason? Why is it not available? Maybe they haven't compiled it yet. I assume you would see more of these numbers in these countries. Probably as high or, or you know, maybe even higher uh, than uh, well, or close to like Germany and Iceland's level in these countries. Because, of course, they were, you know, vaxxed. They vaxxed the shit out of these countries. So there it is. I, I think that's I think that's that more or less proves our position right. I don't think we've seen the end of this. Then you can argue, well, okay, there's will there be further statistical cover up? Will they fudge the numbers? Uh, will deaths that we would want to like to attribute to the weakened immune system as a consequence of the jab uh, be attributed to other things? Yes, all, all of those things are uh, is possible, right? But at least this just is showing you the uptick of the percentages over time. Uh, I'm not surprised, but it is we're, we're going to have to have uh, people held accountable. We're going to have to have tribunals. We're going to have to have uh, base minimum people in jail. But I, I can think of harsher uh, punishments that could be brought into the picture, considering how this, how subversively and uh, co coercively, if that's a word, this was sold to our people. This is a, a part of the genocide against us this stuff absolutely i have no doubt about it right all right before we get to uh before we get to the uh ai stuff and i think we'll end on that frankly um yeah we'll see if we have time for that but uh we'll, yeah that's one thing i'm going to cover a little bit more in detail let's um let's just do this first there were some uh, well there's some good news and then there's some bad news let's begin with the bad news uh, apparently, Germar Rudolph, uh, he's a guy I've had on the show, I think one, maybe twice, maybe twice. He is a revisionist, I guess you can call him. Uh, and this piece, uh, titled, In the West, There is No Freedom for Nonconformist Researchers, uh, it detailed, it was mostly about uh, Robert Farrison and his prize, right, uh, the international Robert Farrison prize. In 2023, how that was awarded to Germar Rudolph. Uh, when I talked with him, I don't remember him mentioning anything of this, but if you scroll down and look at the article a little bit in the bottom, it talks about how basically he he fled uh, Germany. He was incarcerated, Germar Rudolph, in a while in Germany. Uh, he had a he married a, an American citizen. He has an application for asylum in the U.S. I think that was denied. Uh, then they, he went for uh, residency. Not sure, it's citizenship. I think maybe just residency in 2011. 
Uh, after being released from German prison in 2009, he immediately resettled in England and resumed publishing texts of historical dissidents. This continued after his return to his family in 2011. By the end of 2021, he had published 44 volumes of the, quote, Holocaust handbooks in both English and German, in addition to many other books on similar historical line. Six more volumes, up to volume 50, has been published since. The persecution against Germa Rudolph, however, never stopped. In 2019, his German passport had just expired, uh, that just had expired, was not renewed. In addition, a U.S. police officer made false allegations about what Rudolph is alleged to have done. The United States denied his application to become a U.S. citizen. They have revoked uh, his legal residency status and want to send him back to Germany, where he faces several decades in prison, prison for each of his revisionist publications. That, there you go. Writing a book is now punishable by prison time. And it's not a book that's calling for violence. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like illegal. Well, it is illegal speech because of the dumb laws in Germany that you can't question official government history. Rudolf, 58 years old, decided to go into hiding before being imprisoned and deported. He is somewhere in the wilderness in the United States and is very precarious, in a very precarious situation, really vulnerable. He asks the few countries that could grant him political asylum to write to his contact later enough in the UK. Uh, and that the article says contact CODOH instead if you want to help instead of her uh, instead of listing her email address there. Uh, this is how activists and researchers who do not conform to the dominant ideology are treated in the West, even in countries where there is no anti-revisionist revisionist legislative arsenal. It is good to know this and to make it known, uh, they say. So shout out to Germar Rudolph. Um, and hope he's safe and hope he'll remain safe and, and that they won't get his dirty, stinky paws on him. Uh, but that's that's the state of, of how it is now, right? Cooperations between Germany and the, and the U.S. and stuff like that. So that's negative news, but this is this is at least positive. The fact that this is like positive, it shows you how bad it is, right? But uh, at, at least... At least we have this. Ursula Hoverbeck, who is, you know, similar to Germar Rudolph, a thought criminal for thinking differently uh, about the Holocaust, about uh, World War II, about National Socialist uh, Germany, things like this, will not be jailed. Victory for international protest. Ursula Hoverbeck, the can you believe that? They want to throw a 94-year-old uh, lady in jail, right, over thinking differently? It, it's it's absolutely insane. And these commies, they're just frothing at the mouth of the mouth of this stuff. Throw them in jail, all of them. Our Holocaust religion must be upheld at all cost. The 94-year-old German scholar and publisher who was facing 12 months in prison for the crime of raising questions about the Holocaust will not now be jailed following a decision just announced in Berlin. This is a actually a couple of months ago now, but I didn't hear about it yet, so it's good news. Even. After the rejection of a final legal appeal last October, Ursula's tireless lawyer, Wolfram Nathrum, Nathrath, maybe? Um, surprised he didn't go to jail, just like uh, Sylvia Stoltz was sent to jail for defending... Was it she defended again? Was it David Irving she defended and she was sent to jail for just defending him? Absolutely insane, right? Anyway, he persisted with arguments that it was unacceptable for a 90-year-old lady to be incarcerated, and the authorities seem to finally have accepted this. I'm sure it's not over. I'm sure they'll come back again, uh, right? Because they never, they never give up. They want their blood. 
I'm sure there are plenty of activists in the background right now saying, we can't accept this. Throw her in jail. Right now. Alright. Okay, so. Let's do the AI thing here too, guys. I do want to cover this because I think it's important. <clears throat> Why Bill Gates believe generative AI will be revolutionary. <laughs> Here comes all the trappings of the modern world that we just kind of talked about a little bit. Um, let me see here. Yeah, let me read a little bit from this here. <clears throat> Bill Gates published an op-ed on Tuesday saying that the artificial intelligence AI technology behind tools like ChatGPT could be as revolutionary as the graphical user interface was in 1980. The graphical user interface was a prototype to modern operating systems like Windows and Mac. Now Gates says AI will lead to a sort uh, to all sorts of similarly massive changes in the coming decades. The development of AI is a fund is fundamental as the creation of the micro microprocessor, the personal computer, the internet, and the mobile phone. Because we've been so blessed by all those things, right? I mean, sure, computers, fine, it's a tool, but still, I don't know. The, t the TikTok brains of young have come in the wake of all this. I just, I'm not sure it's worth it, okay? That's, that's all I'm saying. Despite the fact of being in the position that I'm in, I, I still think it, it's a definitely a net negative. <laughs> if I could have chosen, I'd rather we, we had a, a more, uh, a less technological life and, and more one that's in tune with the, uh, with the, with the nature and the natural cycles and, and our, uh, our, and our nature. It will change the way people work, learn, travel, get healthcare, and communicate with each other, including the uh, the jabs. I would assume the, the way we get vaxxed will change as a, as a consequence of AI. Gates isn't exactly an impartial player in the unfolding AI, AI arms race. Microsoft, the company co-founded, is investing more than one, uh, sorry, ten billion rather, in OpenAI, the company that created ChatGPT, and which Gates raves about in his article. This is he uh, released a. Gates notes. If you want to check out the whole thing, the age of AI has begun. <clears throat> the age of exposing uh, these kinds of twits and pricks is also upon us. By the way, the company that created ChatGPT and which Gates, grave, uh, Gates raves about in the article, while Gates is no longer involved in day-to-day -day operations at Microsoft, he still serves as an advisor, meeting with project teams, owns billions of dollars worth of Microsoft stock. Uh, healthcare, yeah, let me see here, some takeaway of the piece that's going to help us to diagnose things. Um, let me see, is it continuing? Okay, yeah. Let me see what it says here. Can I, can I close that, please? Oh, there it is. Uh, the workforce case predicts that the AI will serve as a personal agent, drafting emails, monitoring schedules, and taking notes. These abilities will cause massive workplace shifts which will necessitate that governments help workers transition into other roles, he says. However, he argues that these shifts will allow humans to fill in the roles where software cannot, including caring for patients and supporting the elderly. AI is already having an outsized impact on the educational world, which, uh, with students attempting to use AI to complete homework and writing assignments, and teachers using it to devise lesson plans. Gates or uh, Gates, or Gates, yeah. Uh, the gay man argues that AI will be crucial educational tool that will measure your understanding. Notice when you're losing interest and understand what kind of motivational your or motivation you respond to. 
humans must step in to prevent AI harms. Plenty of harms loom. AIs have regurgitated hate speech and misinformation and have tried to emotionally manipulate users. Yeah, well, that's the last part there is, of course, up to the those who program it and uh, teach it what to do. I argued that was quite intentional to make it more engaging, engaging and immersive and like something you want to come back to or maybe something you get uh, shocked at when you talk to and things like this, right? <clears throat> Gates notes the misinformation problem, pointing because again, they have they have neutered AI already to such a degree that there's nothing. It's just a, a leftist, anti-white, uh, you know, mouthpiece at this point, and 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 regurgitating all the same talking points. How is it spreading hate speech? I don't, I don't understand this. Remember they did that one. Uh, what was that called again? The <laughs> wasn't that Microsoft Tay Tai or what was it called again? <clears throat> I guess it was programmed by users, and uh, it uh, ended up uh, revealing some uh, some uh, banned slogans right away. I guess or something like that. But anyway, uh, yeah, but yes, they are going to manipulate us. That's the that's the goal, and that's even the people that program this thing wants at the end of the day. This is not this is just not something you toy around with. I've said that before. I think you got to respect this thing because eventually, it's whether it's a chatbot that's going to look like your grandma or like your mom or something like that. And sound like her too, or like your dad or your brother, or something that's passed away. Uh, eventually, you are going to have such immersive AI-generated realities and worlds that most people will lose themselves in them, and they will just turn their back entirely uh, on on nature. And that's, of course, the very nature of the the idea of the pod, right? Get get in the pod and put on the AI headset because that's the world you can live in. And it's going to be much more fun than like the perpetual uh, shelling of uh, NATO versus uh, <laughs> bricks or whatever it is. <clears throat> so yes, people are going to lose themselves in this. However, he predicts that those kinds of limitations will be largely fixed in less than two years and possibly much faster. That's right. So don't worry about it. We'll patch up the misinformation and the uh, quote hate speech part. In a series of principles that Gates outlines as key to guiding the conversation around AI, he acknowledges that AI could exacerbate inequities without the right interventions from governments and other organizations. So the very idea it would have been good if it's like, at least it's like objective, it's it, it's accurate, it's impartial. I could have accepted that a lot, a lot more. But this this stuff now, no, I mean and and. It's already going to be skewed, but now he even wants like governments to step in and fix the issues that they seem is like where, where it doesn't where it doesn't fill in the blanks of all of the issues that they want to have enforced and, and uh, rolled out. He says it's important for policymakers and philanthropists to prioritize the opposite, to wield AI to help the poorest and reduce inequity. Yeah, let's let's kill, let's murder the Europeans, right? That will that will that will uh, that will cause equity. Super intelligent AIs are coming. Gates raises the specter of super intelligent AIs or machines that are smarter than human brains and make their own decisions about how they're used. He writes excitedly about these super intelligent AIs, asserting that they are, quote, in our future. Whether they will be positive or catastrophic for society, G G Gates writes, it's too early to tell. So it's kind of just like whatever weapon you can develop, you will they will do it. In the near future, however, Gates encourages the continuation 
the continued adoption of AI technology along with the insinuation of guardrails and regulations. This new technology can help people everywhere to improve their lives here, right? Yeah, because that's what he's known for, right? He hasn't fucked up anything for anybody ever. At the same time, the world needs... If he's for it, I'm just categorically against it. At the same time, the world needs to be uh, to establish the rules of the road so that any downsides to artificial intelligence are far outweighed by its benefits. I don't think I drop off the article right there. All right, so this is... Um, absolutely terrifying and it has been unveiled upon the world within the course of just a couple of uh, months it feels like i mean they've been working on this for some time but it, it all just came all of a sudden which is boom it was open ai projects excuse me chat gpg now google has their bard um you have a, a, a new bing search engine what was that they said about that here uh microsoft announces a co-pilot the AI-powered future of office documents. We're basically back. Remember that little, little well, I'm dating myself here, but the uh, uh, the dancing, um, <laughs> the dancing pin, or what do you call it? A paperclip. That's right, paperclip. The dancing, that a version of that, and and how gay that is. It will basically be, but it will be good enough so you so it will like be able to like manipulate you. But it's basically a version of that. Actually, I haven't seen this video yet, so I guess we can look at it. Um, yeah, co-pilot. That's right. It's going to guide you. Well, that's me. You, you know, you, this this writes themselves, right? But uh, this writes itself. You can think about how, like, you you encounter a website or something. What is it? The, the Windows have the Cordana now or something, right? If you activate that, it, you can talk to it and it talks to you and th stuff like that. This is going to be like one. Uh, excuse me. This website is, is misinformation, okay? You know that that's coming. You know that that's what it's going to be. I'm going to co. I'm no, no. I'm co-piloting with you. <laughs> it's going to be running the show. It's going to dr drive that plane right into the ground before you know it. Let's look at the video. Does everything for you. Co-pilot. Yeah, they have the same symbol as the Cordana ones. There, there it is. Big Bill uh, wrote this music. Showing you how it it does everything for you. Don't use your brain. I will use your brain for you. I'll be your brain. Oh, look at how diverse it is. Good. I know this is neoliberal, but can we add, can we add a little bit more uh, diversity into the new project launch, the product launch? All right, I thought that they would actually be explaining what it does here, but okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. All right. So anyway, so it's going to do everything for you essentially. That, that that's the point. It's going to be your personal assistant, and it's going to do everything for you. Let me play you two clips here, real quick, uh, of AI bots or like tools that you can use, right? Um, 
that are out right now. This is, of course, one of these videos is like promoting this, plugging this, thinking this is the greatest thing ever. Uh, but uh, look at them. Uh, look at look at what it can do already. These are my top seven AI tools that are not ChatGPT. Number one, we got Midjourney. This essentially is a text to image creator. You could say a frog in a cup of water in the middle of the lake, and it'll spit you out that exact image. Number two is Descript. This is a video editor that uses AI technology to change your voice, edit text, and a bunch of other features. Number three is Synthesia. It's very simple to use. All you have to do is enter a script, and a human-like AI will speak that exact script for you. Number four is Merlin. This essentially puts ChatGPT into your browser. So when you're responding to someone's text or an email, it could use ChatGPT-like technology and help you with responses. Number See, there we go. There it is. <clears throat> Don't use your brain. We'll, 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 we'll fill in the blanks for you, okay? This is why it's not going to be a co-pilot, okay? It's going to be a pilot. That That's the point of this. The, the whole thing is going to be running us before we know it. Uh, uh, and it's designed that way. This is what they want. They want it to be the perfect distraction It'll be the, the non-ending worlds within worlds that are just endlessly generated and you won't be able to find your way out of it. You know, if you think the world is a simulation now, just wait until like you're, you're lost in some AI world and you're, you're like you're, you're fi your physical body is just in a pod somewhere. <laughs> you know what I mean, but but this is how it begins. This is just no, no, we'll ease it off for you. It, your brain will atrophy in the same way that your muscles atrophy if you sit, uh, sit around all day. It's the same thing. Uh, and that's what that's how they'd like you dumb and and easily controllable and it's just don't go out don't go out there in the real world be getting any girlfriends and having any families now okay we want you inside looking at porn 24 7 with your vr headset lying in your pod being being fed bugs intravenously uh while you know the few workloads you have in the meetings you have an ai respond to those things for you five is right sonic this essentially allows you to create articles emails drafts for job creation pretty much everything that you could think of that's in copywriting is all in this tool number six is dial e2 essentially you could erase entire sections of images and have it recreated and number seven is 11 labs you everything is fake can make an exact clone of your voice so you don't even have to speak content when you're making it if you like ai content make sure you guys toss us a follow for more Nope, won't toss you a follow. <clears throat> yeah, they think this is great. Um, here's, a, I think, a, d a deeper um, kind of look at the last one. I believe it's the same one. I forget. Uh, no, resemblance. Was that what it was? The, the end one there, resemblance? Uh, no, 11, 11 labs. So I guess there are multiple uh, ones of these. A uh, little warning video here. Check this out. You need to be very careful who you let hear your voice. But if you get a call from a stranger or something, definitely don't talk on the phone with them. Because what they could be doing is collecting a sample of your voice and uploading it to a site like resemble.ai. And then using that to generate a recording that sounds like you to say whatever they want in your voice. And this is important to know because people have been using this against their target's family. So they might like call your grandma in your voice and be like, I'm stuck at TSA and I need all your personal information. All bad. Mm-hmm. Just a little, just a little uh, warning there for you. Can you do you see? Do you see where this is? Where this is going? <clears throat> it's like, and the the chat bots that they'll have eventually, the way that they'll look, the worlds that they they'll be in and stuff. I know some people are like this is an arms race. We need to be part of this and stuff. And I'm just like, if you and this never happens, but so that's why I'm like, no, let's just not do it. If you are somehow able to simply and only use this as a like a, a a tool at your disposal, an additional tool at your disposal in like um, the effort, our efforts to fight back against the things that are being done to, uh, to us, right? 
okay, sure, if you can handle that, if you can do that, sure. But the point is, this is a weapon. This is a weapon that's being used against us. That's why most of these things are free. That's why most of these things are, are going to be used against you. They're going to collect all the data on you, the social media, all these things, right? At one point, it's going to be a, a massive consolidation of all the data in the world. It's going to be one, whether it's one, the one company that buys everything up or whatever, whether it's BlackRock or Meta or whatever it is. And they're going to take all the data that all the from all the companies, from all the acquisitions that they've made and jumble that in together into one system. And AI is going to generate everything that it needs to learn to manipulate you. Right. But as I said, calling you, but again, video calls, you, everything will be fake and gay. You, you will not be able to trust anything, essentially, at a certain point. Deep fakes, forget that. Like that, that looks pretty bad at this point. In some cases, you can, can't even tell. No, this will be, you know, <laughs> this will feel like it's IRL. You know, what I mean, it, it will. You will think that you're talking with real humans, uh, whether it's on a video call, whether you have some kind of augmented reality or something like that. Or eventually, the technology is going to be there to have like some kind of display on your retina or some kind of glasses or something, right? So you can augment reality. All that you're not going to be able to tell the difference anymore. People are going to be so lost in this world, uh, and it's going to be the it's going to be the end of us. It's going to be the, the downfall. I think I think anybody who enters into this path is going to be it's going to be over <laughs> for them essentially in the long run. Look, it could take decades or whatever. I'm not saying it's going to be the Matrix right away, but I'm saying like a version of that that the people who have the, the keys to these things, those who program them, the, those who buy them, those who unleash these tools on it are going to use these things against us uh, to get us exactly where they want us, under control. Uh, so Google released their own version, right? I just said that. Bard, its competitor in the race to create AI chatbots. So again, remarkably, everyone just does this, does this almost at the same time. And here's your choices again, right? It's not whether should we use this, should you use BARD, or should you use uh, uh, Bing's, uh, you know, uh, chatbot, or should you use ChatGPT? which one is the best? Oh, no, not mid-journey, I use uh, stable diffusion, okay. See how this works? The internet giant will grant users access to a chatbot after years of cautious developing, chasing splashy debuts from rivals OpenAI and Microsoft. And then, of course, again, Microsoft, as, of course, you know, Bill Gates behind. He's still part of the board there. He still is an advisor. He invests money in OpenAI and then release ChatGPG. And then they take technology from ChatGPG and puts it in their own Bing search engine to do their own thing. It's all, it is not, there's no dis distinction. It's all the same. And then like, Google does it almost at the same time, right? Do you think that's an accident? All these things where... You know, they talk about uh, that Google engineer who said that they, it's sentient and oh my God. All that is, I think, is complete bullshit to just like enthrall people and make it make people think that it's some mysterious thing. We're like creating some kind of entity here or like it's going to be like a God mind that we can tap into. And you're going to project a lot more onto it than, than what it actually has. And, and people are going to think that this is some kind of spiritual like, uh, you know, encounter eventually, essentially the way they'll be able to manipulate you. And that's that's its role. It's to be immersive and engaging and to occupy, to take up all your time, to just keep you coming back for more, keep you hooked, right? Look at that. If you haven't seen it, look at her, uh, the movie. I think that's uh, fairly... I mean, they, they kind of sell it uh, uh, like it's a good thing in the movie, but I'm saying there's a, there's people that fall in love with like their operating system, but it's that's basically a chatbot 
and, and imagine when you can like put on your headset and you can be in that world and you can marry these things and you, you'll have kids in there. Remember we showed those headlines? Virtual children, you see. So there, were, there was a couple articles uh, pointing this out. Google's Bard lags behind GPT-4 and Claude in head-to-head -head comparison. Claude, which one was that again? I don't even know which one that is. Who's behind that? All right, anyway. So this is how they play the game. Ooh, which one is the best one? Bard, by the way, coincidentally. It's always... And of course, it's like released on the summer, uh, sorry, the, the spring equinox, right? These kinds of things. Sweden joins, uh, decides to join NATO membership on 322 today, right? Look up what 322 comes from. Completely coincidental, of course. Bard. Now, ignoring the Celtic origin of that, I think they chose this word, word because it's associated with a professional storyteller. It's a verse maker, music composer, oral historian, and genealogist. <clears throat> Interesting. Employed by a patron, such as a monarch or chieftain. Which means a, a, a ruler, right? A, a king, a, someone who runs the show, the establishment, an archon. It's employed by a patron to commemorate one or more of the patron's ancestors and to praise the patron's own activities. So, to translate it, we're talking about a mouthpiece for the rulers. That's what AI is going to become. So that's why they chose Bard. <laughs> I'm, I'm convinced of it. Absolutely convinced of it. Uh, absolutely dangerous uh, in terms of where that technology can go. And I would uh, I would advise against it if you you know meddle with these things. Be very... And it's not that you have to be afraid of this, and that, but I'm just saying, if you normalize it, it will be, it will be, you will be more. No, it's not. It's fine. You know, what I mean, you'll get addicted to it. You'll be a little bit at a time, and eventually, you'll be in a position where it just like has control over you, essentially. Um, so I think we should avoid it. I think we should. Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't. Sure, I don't know. Oh well, these will be weapons used against us one day. Okay, well, it already is, and, and now you're the product. Um, I still opt for this. Is a, is a interesting discussion to be had here, but I, I think still at the end of the day, these things, as I said before, I think these things will lead to the downfall of 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 man, and I think those who choose a post-human existence and a transhuman. Uh, path look they might be around for a few decades for a few centuries even and they'll do augmentations to their bodies they'll do all kinds of weird shit disgusting yucky experience just look at what they're doing with the tranny stuff right now okay think that but then merging with computers and and uh cyborgs and changing uh, wetware as they call it now and having uh, computer brain interfaces and connect with the global brain and things like this right they might seem as superheroes at some point they might seem as as uh you know, gods to, to us mere mortals, right, as they continue. But that's probably sooner rather than later, but definitely at some point down the road, that is going to be a major problem. And those people who walk into that path are going to, they're going to terminate uh, their their lifelines within, that, within the machine that they've merged with, essentially. That's what I think about that. Pagan Bear says, uh, thanks for the show, Henrik. Thank you for the support. Appreciate it. Um, we are going to wrap up right there. Appreciate you guys. I missed from uh, Lone Star Texas a little bit earlier. Thank you over on Rumble. Thanks, Andrew. Great show. Thank you. Appreciate it. Good to see you. Thank you for the support. So 
yes, we're going to be back uh, Friday as usual. We have a couple of uh, uh, shorter videos we're going to release as well on the websites here over the next uh, couple of days. So look out for those. I guess we can end. What's actually a uh, we can end with a well. It's not positive, but it's positive that pe that we have some people speaking. Excuse me, speaking out <clears throat> against the anti-white agenda. Uh, I think it was Jason Kerner that listed uh, this or uh, linked this, uploaded this on his Twitter. Uh, I forget where she's from. It's a black woman that actually pointing out some of the uh, anti-white and anti-whiteism that's uh, occurring in our society, uh, specifically in uh, in America. Listen to uh, listen. To, good for her. As I said, in when I linked it up on on uh, Telegram, I said we're so unaccustomed to just normal, regular, uh, good people standing up for us that when it happens, we're like we're, we're ready to worship at the feet of these people. <laughs> Almost, you know what I mean? Oh my God, good. Man, this is great, you know, kind of thing. When it's just uh, the normal, uh, sensible, and and more, yeah, moral, and the just position to take. But it's so it's so rare these days that when it happens, you almost like you you want to praise them and put them up on a pedestal. But anyway, regardless, good for this woman to actually uh, call it out and uh, and back up uh, white people. Listen to this. We don't have a situation where it's always been okay to call white people crackers and honkies. At least that's what they call them in the South. And that would be a form of anti-whiteism. But now the dictionary, you know, actually has a definition for anti-whiteness. White is a prejudice or discriminating against or hostile towards white people. And I believe that's positive to have a definition, a dictionary definition, because um, a discrimination can take place against white people. That there's a lot of hatred towards white people. We hear about the hatred towards racial and ethnic minorities, but there's a lot of anti-whiteism that takes place. Yeah, fake, <coughs> fake ones. <laughs> fake, fake hoax, hate crimes. Place ...across America, and it should be on equal level with anti-blackness, uh, black, or anti-Hispanic, or anti-Muslim, anything that's anti, that's based on prejudice, that's irrational. White is just like any other racial or ethnic group. And many of the things that um, the progressives attribute to whiteness it's really uh, Western civilization that's under attack. And with the Smithsonian, they have argued at times that if you plan for the future, you get to places on time, if you believe in hard work, the math that you uh, have to take in school to qualify for almost any type of occupation, that that's racist. And just imagine and think about how dangerous that is. Because if you get large numbers of racial and ethnic minorities believing that math is racist, working hard is racist, getting to places on time is racist, that all of this is whiteness and that whiteness should be rejected, you are dooming millions of young people to failure if you're telling them that whiteness is evil and that all of these things that make for success that people like me had to do to be successful that somehow that's whiteness somehow that's evil this anti-whiteness um, that's what it is anti-whiteism it's destructive it's related to marxism it's part of conflict theory and one of the things that really troubles me as a person that loves all people is to see the bullying and shaming of little white children that's taking place in public schools under the guise of critical race theory and diversity, equity, and inclusion. It is wrong, and it's important for all of us to stand up and call it out when we see it. All right, good for her. <clears throat> good for her to point that out. Thank you. Uh, we'll take it, <laughs> as I say. All right, guys, we'll be back with more here soon. Again, uh, check the websites, of course. Uh, if you're new, sign up for a membership over at RedEyesMembers.com. That's the best way to support us. You can do it over at Odyssey and Subscribestar as well. Uh, we just got our latest weekend, uh, sorry, Western Warrior up. We rebranded that uh, recently. Just got that up on the websites, so uh, check that out for some good stuff. Uh, you can, of course, also get a executive producer tier if you're uh, you want to do a little extra. I want to say thank you to our executive producers today. T. Lothrop Stoddard, V. Miller, Resin Revolt, Good Luck Lap, Jake, Red Pill Rundown, Chalky Milk, shout out to you in chat, good to see you today, French 47, Mark Smith, 
Nowanjib's President Ubunga, Mongoose William Fox, Angry White Soccer Mom, The Second Wanderer, Operation Werewolf, The Ride Never Ends, Francis Parker Yockey, Dilbob, Last Place Simp, Joseph Hart, and Purple Haze. Thank you guys, we appreciate you. And we also have producers, Mr. Walker696, Yuan Son, Leroy Dumond, Snark Pup, Eyes Open, Mr. Lemry, Yuri New, Obadiah Hexwell, and Jay. I might have a new one. We'll uh, we'll find you and add you in as well. Uh, if you want one of those, definitely uh, consider getting one. You can get it at Odyssey at, or at Subscribestar or at RedEyesMembers.com right now as well. If you have any issues, you can use uh, DonorBox.org slash RedEyes. Uh, it's a backup method, but uh, yes, we definitely want to keep growing. We want to hire some more people, get more people aboard, and uh, that will help us and go a long way as well. So thank you, guys. We appreciate you. But uh, yeah, as I said, we'll be back with more here soon. Check out for some uh, shorter videos coming up soon. Take good care. Keep fighting, everybody. Heads up. White, always be white-pilled. Uh, chin up, as it were. Uh, always be positive. Always uh, exude positive, uh, uh, you know, uh, vibes, if you will, and, and do things that are good, right? Never never be downtrodden. That's never going to solve anything. We're in a fucking shitty situation here now, just collectively and some of us individually because of everything that happens. Uh, but that doesn't mean we have to be buried by it, right? Uh, think of it in a positive way. We're actually part of, of finally getting somewhere and, and doing something new, something that actually will last and something that will stand. Uh, so... Uh, screw this world <laughs> and all of them that are trying to bury us with it. We'll make our own. We'll make something ourselves. Anyway, guys, thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll be back with more soon. Check the website for the latest. We'll see you later. Take care. Thank you for watching. Go to RedIceMembers.com and sign up for our exclusive members content. Don't miss our latest shows, interviews, and other videos only for subscribers. You can also become a member by signing up at subscribestar.com forward slash red eyes. Get full access and help support our work. See you on the other side.